Hello, and welcome to The Thin Place, the one more film blog podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality in film. This is episode 54 for June 2015, and our topic today is Entourage, the 2015 theatrical release by Doug Allen, starring all the usual suspects from the Entourage television show. Your hosts for this episode, as usual, are Ken Morfield, that's me, and not as usual, subbing in for Todd, is Alex McKee. Hi. Uh, Alex, do you want to say a little bit about, other than not being Todd, who I you am, are? I am super not Todd. Um, I am a student at Campbell University, I'm an English major, uh, doing some film study as well. I'm super excited to be here. Alrighty, and uh, what are your what are your tastes in film, or what's two, what um, are like two or three of your favorite films? Uh, probably my go tos um, would be uh, Drive, uh, starring Ryan Gosling. It's one of my favorite movies. I really I really enjoy the original Pirates of the Caribbean. That's always a like it just seems like a quintessential great solid action movie. I always like that kind of thing. And uh, Rubber. <laughs> Love me some rubber. Okay, so you're not you're not Todd, but you're not the anti-Todd either. <laughs> Todd also being a big rubber fan. All right, so one of the reasons I wanted to ask uh, Alex to sub in today is in doing Entourage, uh, I wanted to schedule a podcast around the notion of one viewer who had seen and was familiar with the HBO television series from which the movie is based, and one person who was new to the Entourage characters. Since I have seen all eight seasons of Entourage, uh, both on HBO and, again, in anticipation of the movie, that meant that I had to go find somebody who was an Entourage virgin. Uh, so, Alex, you've not not seen Entourage? You're not I familiar with um, um, I, uh, I heard about it. I had a, I had a good friend of mine um, who was a big fan of the show and talked about it all the time. But, yeah, when I heard I was, I was going to be watching this movie and talking about it, I actually purposefully didn't watch any of the show, and I didn't look up any storylines or anything like that. I kind of wanted to go into it cold and fresh. And, I actually, I really enjoyed the movie. I was surprised by how quickly they introduced the characters and how effectively and efficiently I uh, kind of caught up on everybody. I thought there was some, like, expository dumps, but I thought they kind of handled that pretty well, doing the, the Piers Morgan bit and stuff like that and kind of catching you up. That's referring to very early on. They yeah. have a profile of Vincent on the Piers Morgan <laughs> show where sort of like behind the scenes and they give... Uh, catching up for people who've seen the show and and introductions. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And, you know, we had talked about this before. Uh, the movie for me as a whole, like, I, I did enjoy it. The first half seemed a little slow and I wasn't exactly sure what was what they were trying to do. But about halfway through, they um, the plot really thickened and uh, things started moving really quickly. And that's when everything kind of picked up for me. And I actually really enjoyed it. It felt a connection to the characters, even though I hadn't grown up with them or anything. They were they were distinct and yet cohesive as a unit. And I just, I, I thought it worked really, really well for me, even though I came into it without uh, knowing anything. I did get the sense that, you know, if I had seen it, I would have picked up on some more things. And there were, I think there were some 
some jokes that I didn't quite catch. And I'm curious as someone who'd seen the show, if there were any little nuggets that I, that I might've missed or anything that, you know, was specifically for that audience. Yes. I mean, there's always going to be nuggets. There, there's certain go-to entourage references, mm-hmm. references to Eric being working at a pizza parlor or a right. Sparrow's when he was discovered and having the picture of him on Piers Morgan, which weren't exactly nuggets that you wouldn't get if yeah. you didn't know it, but are, are sort of part of the, the mythology. Uh, I guess the other part that is sort of um, nuggets that I wouldn't want to give away would be uh, just one of the calling cards of Entourage is the presence of cameos. Uh, yeah. So many actors playing themselves. Yeah. Uh, going all the way back to the first season of, of Entourage, in which uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, who was executive producer, yeah. and ostensibly the inspiration for the show. Right, I, mean, right. I, I don't think it's a hidden secret that uh, Vincent Chase is supposed to be a Mark Wahlberg character, mm-hmm. uh, you know, who came from uh, Queens Boulevard or came from this. Uh, New England, East Coast, small town, came out yeah. to Hollywood, made it big, had an older brother, Donnie Wahlberg, who is oh, in yeah. television, <laughs> uh, and was eventually eclipsed, and uh, the entourage of, of, of friends, and um, I forget who Ari Gold is is supposed to be patterned after. I think it's uh, I, I think it's one of the Emanuels, not not... Uh, Ram Emanuel, but with mm-hmm. his brother, who's the agent. But I could be wrong about that. Certainly, there's a there's a Harvey in the TV show who is an erratic studio head that um, that one assumes is Harvey Weinstein. Right. But but one of the sort of nuggets or pleasures of Entourage was always been this sort of blending of the fictional world with the real world because yeah. you always have these cameos of live. Actors. In fact, there is in um, uh, seasons I think five and six of Entourage a, a an extended storyline in which Turtle starts dating Jamie Lynn Siegler from The Sopranos. Huh. And in in season seven, I think Vince is dating Sasha Gray, who's right. a, a real life person, and so that 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 blurring of the line between reality is is very much. A nugget where because you've got a full two hours, you've got a room not just for some of the people who have made cameos before that you're happy to see again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something you might not get. For instance, uh, there's a very early scene on on the boat in which I think Gary Busey is is giving a literary explication yeah, exactly. of. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is the new movie that Vince is working on. Uh, and Gary Busey had a very famous uh, cameo in one of the seasons of Entourage in which Vince is trying to buy a desk that belonged to someone, I forget, someone famous at an right. antique store, and Gary Busey ended up having it. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a pleasure to say who's going to show up again. Mm-hmm. When he's throwing a party and there's just a, a bunch of people there, and I got the sense that like all the cameos were very, they were very funny in the moment. Mm-hmm. But I definitely got the sense that like this is this is fan service. This is this is kind of it's it's all for the people who've been watching the show to kind of like yeah see it again. And it's very that must have been very satisfying. There's a moment I think where Ari is going in to talk to his therapist, 
or the couples therapist, uh, who is a regular, played by Nora Downing, is a regular character who returns for the movie. Um, so, and I think Kelsey Grammer yeah, is walking, yeah. is walking out and has, has a very funny bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think one of the things that's very, uh, pleasing or satisfying for fans of the show is not just seeing Turtle and Johnny and Vince and E again, but seeing who all comes back, seeing Nordon as the therapist, seeing, yeah. I'm a big Constant Zimmer fan, so seeing Dana Gordon, uh, seeing Debbie Mazar, who has a recurring role as the uh, as the publicist, and uh, you know which uh, people who floated in or out of the entourage world but were not regulars, uh, you know, end up being in the movie and what new people come in there. Now, having said that, I'm I'm surprised to hear a little bit that um, you you seem to be up on the movie. More so than than was I. I um, was a little bit disappointed in the movie. It sounds as though you liked it a little bit more more than I did. I I enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't say like it, it wasn't it wasn't my favorite. I didn't think it was it was. I wasn't ever rolling on the floor laughing. But I thought it was it was a fun. I wish that these type of movies they they sometimes border on on being a little bit zany mm-hmm. and. These movies, they're, they're grounded. Well, like you said, like they're they're kind of uh, grounded in realism. They're kind of blurring those lines. Part of me just wishes they would just go for it and just kind of have absolute ridiculousness going on. Um, they teeter around that, but not not quite. And I think it would have been what, what I what I would have wanted to see in that movie would be those characters that we that I very quickly cared about being in a little bit more crazy situations. Um, but, okay. And, and I guess part of what I wanted was, um, if you're going to do a movie of a TV series that's already ended, I, I wanted to see more development of the characters mm-hmm. and resolution of some of these eight-season-long conflicts. And you had mentioned that the, the second half plays better than the first mm-hmm. half. I think because the second half tries to... The movie tries so hard to give you more of what the show was mm-hmm. um, that we have to take any sorts of resolution or progress the characters have made in the last season or two and walk it back so that... And to me, that sort of undercuts whatever growth or development that the characters have had. For instance, in season seven, there's issue with tensions between Ari and Mrs. Ari, uh, who's one of my favorite characters, I think, played by... Perry, Perry Reeves, in which Ari gets sued for sexual harassment and some tapes of his explosive anger over the top, uh, you know, very mm-hmm. funny scenes end up getting uh, leaked to TMZ. Uh, and, and there's a little bit in the last, you know, season and a half, two seasons of really beginning to question Ari moving from being this high strung agent who's trying to take over the world to uh, maybe this isn't healthy for me, and I'm, you know, going to find my center, sell out to while I have a lot of money and be able to enjoy life with my family. And so, in some ways, it's painful for me then to see Ari back to being right. Well, let's saddle up one last time, and <clears throat> Vince needs me to make this movie or to get extra money mm-hmm. for this movie. So I'm going to be the same, be the same old Ari, and right. Vince is going to be the the same old Vince in terms of 
my insecurities about whether or not people really like me just because I'm famous or whether or not people are really drama being there's a little bit of growth with drama towards the end of the series when he gets a successful TV show of him you know, for six years being the older, less talented brother and right. being insecure about that and, you know, of, of coming into his own and finding his own and then being back to second banana or the mm-hmm. one that everyone doesn't like. Uh, Turtle seems to be the only one who really has a sustained arc, both within the show that carries through in the, the movie. You know, mm-hmm. Turtle comes in as a driver who's basically content to be a hanger-on, and then in the second half of the TV show, starts realizing, I don't want to go through my whole life as just being a Mm hanger-on or being an entourage, and goes to business school, uh, has a chauffeuring business that's not successful, eventually makes some of his own money, eventually has a sustained relationship albeit with Jamie Lynn Sigler, and then, you know, with someone else who seems to be more interested in not just which girl am I going to make love to this week, but, you know, uh, it's time for me to grow up. And I think the movie then, I, I, I was interested in, or what I wanted was, what happened to these characters when they grew up? And instead, the movie just sort of said, well, let's give one last ride before they, you know, right, grow up. Right. And, so it felt more like a long three-episode arc of the TV show rather than any kind of resolution yeah. or any kind of sense of what happened to these people. That's that's interesting because, you know, I was wondering about that. Cause, you know, having never really seen the show and not knowing how it's structured or anything like that, I was one of my questions for you was, did it feel like just an, an elongated episode? It did, particularly the first half. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much it had that same arc of, of some of the seasons of some kind of project that Vincent wants. Mm-hmm. How's Ari going to get it to him? Mm-hmm. Um, some sort of problem. And then the stakes about whether or not the movie's going to be any good or not. Whether that means, as the series progressed, a lot of times those stakes kept getting raised. You know, this is the movie that's going to break you out as a star. This is the movie that's going to get you back on top after your last movie flubbed. This right. is, you know, um, going to be the movie that's going to help Ari get the studio job. This is going to be... Well, they've all sort of achieved that. And so I, I think the movie has to artificially end up upping the stakes by having some finances withheld mm-hmm. and people saying, well, we're going to... We're going to invest our own money in some... Just like a sports movie always comes back to, like, everything. everything's going to be solved by just if we win the big game, you right, know, where the right. entourage is like, okay, so it all comes down to, is this movie going to be any good, or is right. this movie going to open well or be successful on it? And, um, and in some ways, that disappoints me, because I think part of growing up would be in a position of realizing that you're not going to bat 100, and so let's get yourself to a position where if the movie isn't a success, that's not going to ruin your life or your right. career, but that's not suspenseful. So we've mm-hmm. got to somehow manipulate it as much as we can. I have to say, this is one thing, Alex, I'd like to ask you about maybe is another thing that sort of disappointed me about the movie. I saw a very definite shift after about season four, season three and a half or so of Entourage 
in which uh, Entourage has always been lewd. It's always been HBO. There's always been a lot of brass. There's mm-hmm. always been a lot of um, extramarital sex and cavorting and in a very flip or, or glib way. It, it seemed to get much more excessive in the last couple seasons, mm-hmm. the last two, three seasons of the show, in which it was much more graphic. And where it seemed like in the first couple seasons, that was about this sort of toxic environment that these people came into and said, we're not going to let that affect us. We're not going to let that change us. And the latter half, it seems much more about them participating and becoming Mm. the Hollywood sort of lifestyle and style that they wanted to hold themselves apart from. And I felt like the movie conformed much more to the latter half of Entourage. In fact, because we're in a movie now on TV, we can even be more sexually graphic, more explicit. Uh, and, And in a way that is celebrating that lifestyle rather than simply saying, here's what goes on in this crazy environment that we yeah. find ourselves yeah. into. And, it, you know, it's hard to say no to all these beautiful women when they're throwing you, themselves at you when you're a $20 million movie star. Yeah. You know? I think I, that is, I think it's a very interesting topic. I'm not sure. Um, I, I have many thoughts about nudity in film, sexuality. Um, my, my general philosophy, if I'm old enough to have one, <laughs> um, I view sex scenes and nudity very similarly to how I see violence in film. Um, I think that if you're if you're going to have a fight scene, if you're going to have a showdown, it has to mean something. There needs to be a reason behind it. There needs to be real stakes, real real characters, a real threat, and it needs to it needs to carry over beyond just um, showmanship, before beyond just gore for the sake of gore. And I think the same thing about sex. If you're going to have a sex scene, if you're going to have graphic nudity, it needs to mean something beyond the shock value. You can mm-hmm. use shock value. I have no problem with shock value, but it needs to be valuable. It needs mm-hmm. to be something to prove something. And this movie, I was actually distracted by, um, all of the boobies. Uh, and, and not, not in like, it didn't, it didn't bother me morally. It doesn't, it doesn't hinder me in a faith sense, but it is. Just, it was distracting from the film itself because um, what I cared about were the were the characters and the story and everything. And the movie didn't need it. It didn't progress anything. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the scenes, some of the sex scenes, I felt were necessary. There were consequences. There were um, lessons to be learned beyond those sex scenes. But some of the nudity was just for the sake of having nudity, and that bothers me. I agree with you that I, I'm okay with some of the shock value. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this reason, Entourage, for me, has always been a show about people who are not from Hollywood coming to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And there's it's always been on that razor-thin line between satire and celebration of whether or not the Hollywood lifestyle was something that these normal guys were making fun of or right. whether or not this was something that that they were aspiring to. And I think because the show invites us to identify with the main characters, I'm very much invested in this question of whether or not they can be successful, particularly Vince and Eric, since they're the main characters, without 
the consequences of that success changing them. There's a scene in the movie in which Eric is at Lama's class with Sloane, who is now pregnant. They're not, they're no longer together. And one of the guys in the Lama's class or the birthing class starts flirting with Sloane. I think it's Chad Lowe. (laughs) Yeah, I think it is Chad Lowe, right? And, And Eric starts complaining about like, you know, why is he flirting at you? He's yeah, he's got a pregnant. He's got a pregnant, you know, uh, girlfriend or wife in there. And Stone's like, "Oh, they're not together." And he's like, "Well, you know, what is he in birthing class for?" And she's like, "Well, what are we in birthing class? Yeah. you know, for because we're not together." Uh, and Eric says, "This is a bleeped up town, right?" And to me, that's very meta in terms of what Entourage has always been about is like, is it possible to live and succeed in a bleeped up town without becoming a bleeped up person yourself? You know, the Entourage seems to be the, the sex version of Michael Corleone's speech at the beginning of the Godfather, where he talks about the family business and Kay is horrified. And he says, no, no, no. Kay, that's my family. It's not me. Right. And where Entourage is sort of like, particularly in those first three seasons, where it shows us all this ridiculous, over-the-top, in-your-face, nudity, drinking, boozing, anger, what it just the entire world over-the-top and say, no, 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 that's that's Hollywood. That's not us. That's not, that's not you know, we're just essentially at heart Queens guys or yeah. New York guys or friends. Um, I think even at one point, Ari says at the end, you know, he, he articulates that philosophy. We don't do things... Because of the money, we do things because because we do things that we love, mm-hmm. not what some rich guy tells us what to do. Right, and that's credible in the first three seasons. I don't know how credible that is after eight seasons of seeing them compromise and do a lot of things right. because some right. rich person says that you know that they are. So, is there's a part of me that wonders. Does the film really believe that about itself, or is that just sort of the verbal, rhetorical cover it gives us so that it can have its cake and eat it, too, and say, you don't need to feel bad about all of this in-your-face sexuality or something like that, because we're only showing this to you to make the point that we're not like that. Yeah, no, that's actually a little bit frustrating, because I was about to say... The movie, and I guess the show as well, it seems to give the audience a cake and let them eat it too. Because we identify with these characters and we we feel like we're, you know, small, you know, small town kids or whatever. And, but we're still exposed to it. We still see it all. And the, uh, the one character who is that typical L.A. bleep, mm-hmm. you know, um, seems to be Johnny. And he's... Because he, you know, is an actor and he's very proud of himself and all these things. And he has the hardest time getting laid. He has, you know, people make fun of him. Nobody takes him seriously. And so we kind of see that and we we are willing to make fun Mm -hmm. of that because he's not successful. And he's the typical L.A. guy. But then we see, um, you know, the people who aren't like that. Mm -hmm. But they get all of the benefits that we would assume an L.A. guy would get. And it's just a, it's a very weird justification. It, it is because you would expect if this were a moral fable that success would come 
through loyalty. I mean, Entourage mm-hmm. has always been a happy fairy tale and that things work out well for the good guys. Yeah. I, there's the moralist in me wants them to work out because they do things in the right way and not just mm-hmm. by accident. Uh, certainly Vince's, Vince and Eric are, are sort of the sexual component of that in terms of the sexual ethics of being in Los Angeles. Uh, but the other places I think where we see it and the film is very mixed messages or, or is dishonest is, is in Ari and particularly in the relationship between Ari and uh, Lloyd, you know, there's the, there's this long standing backstory of Lloyd being the gay Asian assistant of Ari that Ari just totally abuses and you know, mocks and distreats, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, there's a subset in the movie where Lloyd is finally getting married and wants Ari to give him away. And I think it's understood within that context that we're supposed to take it for granted because the show tells us that Ari doesn't mean it, mm-hmm. you know, that that's just his blustery outside personality, but deep down he's devoted to Lloyd or he cares for him. They even yeah. make the analogy, uh, as he often makes with Vince about, you know, I feel like him, like he's not just a client, he's my son or, you know, yeah. you know, and Lloyd wants him to be this father. But going back and rewatching the TV show, there, there are ways in which Ari's treatment of Lloyd not ways, I mean, you know, it is really much more abusive than the story wants to give it credit for. And I think they feel as though that's just wiped out by having him say at the end, like, well, that's just Ari being Ari, but he doesn't really mean it. And in order to say he doesn't really mean it, there's a part of me that wants to say, I don't need to just be told he doesn't really need to meet, he doesn't really yeah. mean it. I need to see it. And that means something other than, oh, okay, I'll give you away, you know, yeah. at your wedding. It, it, it means to actually see someone changing or modifying the behavior. As It's interesting you say that about their relationship because their their marriage, the, the way it was depicted in the movie, was actually really disappointing to me. I, I thought that I, we could get into a whole conversation about the female characters in the mm-hmm. movie, but uh, I was very disappointed in, in that aspect mm-hmm. of the film and it's like I felt like their relationship in the in the in the movie was minimal I didn't really get anything yeah. out of it I assumed that she had a very small part in the show I didn't realize it was that like that prominent I actually find maybe because I'm male I actually find the female characters in entourage much more interesting uh, than the male characters mm. in part because I think the question of how can you be a female? relatively normal and survive in this Hollywood environment yeah. such as it is, is a much more interesting question than how can you be a rich Vincent Chase movie star and survive in, yeah, yeah. Yeah. in that attitude. There's a matter of time and space. I, I, I do think that Mrs. Ari is a much more um, interesting uh, character within the show because there's there's negotiations that go on between them in terms of what they'll put up with and what they want and what she expects and and mm-hmm. and ways in which throughout the show particularly in the first half he expresses her importance to him 
in terms of why he's doing things the way that he does. I think by the end of the show, and certainly into the movie, that's become a shtick or a device of, of sort of like, you know, she wants me to give up my Blackberry, and I don't want to give it, right. you know, or I, I, I'm just doing this for you, babe. Well, mm-hmm. part of why I think it's unsatisfying is because after eight-plus seasons of my saying, I want X, of, of saying, I'm just doing this for you, doesn't ring true. And particularly if one of his central arguments is, well, part of what I'm doing this is because I want to provide a certain life for us so I don't have to. And then he's semi-retired when the movie starts and he goes back into it. Well, how can you say I'm doing it for you when you've already made enough money that there's nothing possibly that she could want other than him and his presence in her life and in the kids' lives? As a person who loves the show and loves the character of Mrs. Ari, I, I found, well, in the female characters within the show, it, it just felt to me like the sexual ethics and the relational ethics of the characters in the movie was a step backwards from mm-hmm. where we left them. And I found that to be disappointing because, to a certain extent, I care about these characters. Yeah. And I want them to be happy, not just the female ones, but the male ones. And I thought towards the end of the show there was at least a tacit admission that simply living that typical Hollywood bleep lifestyle isn't something that's going to make you happy and yet by the time we get into the movie rather than the harder job of developing and saying you know is it possible to be anything else you know have they sold their soul uh, or even even being aware of it in a godfather sort of way every time I thought I was out they pulled me back in right. It, it just seems to always, it seemed to always be celebrating the elements of the lifestyle and the existence that the show at least allowed a space for us to find disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that. Absolutely. Um, so in an odd sort of way, maybe what I'm hearing in our discussion is that knowing the TV show was actually a hindrance because that created expectations for me, either of of what I wanted or disappointments in terms of, I thought we were past that. You yeah. Know? I can. And the, the, the storyline in and of itself is not wrong or disappointing, but it felt disappointing for me for these characters who I thought had, had grown past that. But the people who were making the show, I guess thought, or the movie thought we can't do entourage without having these yeah. familiar character beats. And, and it felt, it felt like an, an homage. It felt like a, not completely fan service, but it did, it did feel like a throwback to Entourage as a whole. And and this is coming from someone who has never seen the the show. It felt like it was. It felt like it was a show. It felt like it was like you said, like a, a three episode long arc. Mm-hmm. And for someone who hasn't seen the the character arcs and the growth, like I thought it worked fine. Yeah, but um, I guess the 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 to make that arc happen. They had to start back a couple right. paces. They kind of had to reset. Exactly. And and that I can imagine that being frustrating. Yeah. Well, that's true. And, and I mean, that's not unique to Entourage. I think a lot of the movie served as kind of a meta-commentary on the film industry as a whole, which I, I guess that's kind of sure. the premise of the show in the first place. But um, there's a particular scene when when Ari is uh, is pitching the new movie, and he gets called out, and they're like... It's not part of a franchise. The way we do business now is we play it safe. Mm-hmm. We don't take any risks. And he keeps pushing them to try and, and take risks and everything. But I, I think that's funny coming from a movie 
from a show that's been running for eight seasons. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I I think Alex, you I think you hit the nail on the head, and I think that it's it along with some of that, along with because we do things we love, right. not what rich people tell us, and you know, we're not the typical LA bleep. It is another example. I mean, I think that's just the perfect embodiment of the movie telling us that it's in opposition to what it's doing. Exactly what exactly. it's doing. Overall, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm, I'm glad I saw it because I bet at this point I've got eight seasons invested in these characters. I, I can't say that I didn't enjoy it, even mm-hmm. though I'd have a hard time recommending it. Uh, overall, we... I mean, I like the the thing. I felt like the story would is would be done better as a TV show. Even they even say that in the movie. Um, so the takeaway for me from the film was I want to go back and watch all eight seasons of Entourage. That's that's what I want to do. Okay. Um, but the movie on its own, I thought it was I thought it was pretty funny. I thought it was kind of kind of fun. Um, I wasn't like I said before, like I wasn't blown away by it. I think it would be a solid rental. That's about right. Okay. Uh, thank you, Alex. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have comments about uh, this episode or suggestions for other films you'd like to hear us yap about, <laughs> you can uh, leave us a comment at our new home at podcast.com, one more film blog, or you can leave a comment on the Mirror site at my blog, one more film blog.com. Uh, you can also follow me, Ken, on Twitter at twitter.com backslash Ken Moorfield. If you want to follow Alex, they can find you Facebook. Uh, Facebook's good. I also have a Twitter as well. Uh, so what's your Twitter? I don't remember. Uh, so <laughs> you can go to Twitter and search. Is, uh, is it under Alex McKee? It should be under, yeah. If you, so if you search uh, Twitter, if you search Alex McKee. It'll be the most attractive person's uh, profile picture. That's uh, me. On Twitter. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, everyone, for listening.